0: I was thinking about these new things that I've acquired called progressives. Ah, the joys of being almost 50. (laughs) I can still see most of you fairly clearly, but if I look at my page, it's all rather blurry. And it reminded me, or these are meant to remind me and remind you of how important our focus is. Uh, Photographers know this very well. If you're going to do a a picture of of a couple on their Proposal, you want them in focus and not the background. What we focus on is is critical. And today we're going to see how easy it is in some ways to lose our focus. How easy it is that Jesus can be right next to us, and yet because of our focus, we can't see him. Would you open up your Bibles and stand with me to Luke chapter 19? We're going to begin reading in verses 28, and we will finish uh, at the end of the chapter, verse 48. Again, Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 48. Beginning in verse 28. And when he, that is Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount, that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you, Uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You should say to this, uh, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt and its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Verse 36. And he rode along, they, and as he, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks in the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Verse 40, he answered, I tell you. because you did not know the time of your visitation. Verse 45, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray again. Lord, we stand in awe of your word and reverence to it. For we believe that these words are not ours, but yours. And so I pray you would anoint me to the task today of preaching your word so that what I say might lift your word up and might bring it clarity. And ultimately, I pray along with your saints of old that your word would do the work you have cast it to do. May it bear fruit in our lives. May it bring conviction. May it bring eternal life. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, the word of life. Amen. Please be seated. Well, our passage today is titled simply, Jesus Draws Near. It's the theme that ties all of these, what seem like three different stories together. Jesus draws near first as a peaceful king. First, as a peaceful king. Jesus, too, draws near as as a weeping prophet. Next slide, please. And finally, Jesus draws near as a devoted priest. And there you can see the division of our long text. So first we begin with Jesus, the peaceful king, verse 28. And when he said these things, he went on going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So what connects our passage today with what we heard last week? Last week was the parable of the menace, the 10 menace that the, the, the Jesus figure in the parable gave out to his servants. What connects these things? What makes kingdom investing have to do with Jesus entering into Jerusalem? And the common thread here is that Jesus, friends, is focused on his mission. There's that word focus. He has his eyes on what he is to do As we've said over the past several weeks, Jesus' eyes are on the cross because the cross is the way that he will seek and to save the lost. That's you and that's me. So Jesus is focused on a people, unfortunately, who do not recognize him. He's drawing near to a people who need God's word spoken in truth, but they can't hear it. He's speaking to a people, drawing near to a people who want war but need peace with God. And lastly, he's drawing near to a people who are distracted instead of worshiping. So let's watch Jesus draw near to Jerusalem as a peaceful king, continuing where we left off in verse 29. It says, When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples out. Now notice his instructions. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering it you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie the colt and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, hey, what are you doing with my colt? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. Jesus is roughly two miles or so from Jerusalem, and he is amidst his apostles and his disciples and crowds and crowds of people. They're all coming up into Jerusalem, getting ready for the Passover feast. They will stay there for probably a full week at least. Thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people. That's why the beggars were out a few weeks ago. The blind beggars, remember them? They were there because this is the best time to beg. Well, Jesus gives his two disciples a rather odd task, doesn't he? Go into the village. This is probably Bethphage. Go in. And ask for a colt. Now, he doesn't clarify here, or Luke doesn't mention what kind of colt, but we know from the other gospels this is a donkey's colt. This is a young donkey. Go find this donkey, and if anybody asks you, you say the Lord has need of it. They're going to look for an unbroken young colt of a donkey, and sure enough, they find it. Verse 32, just as Jesus said. Verse 33, as They were untying the colt. Its owners said to them, these two disciples, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on that donkey. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So it's exactly as Jesus told them. Now, two reasons for that come to mind. One, it could be that Jesus has had a conversation with the owners, in his travels, we know he's traveled a lot over these past three years. He may have had a conversation. Hey, just before Passover, I'm going to need the colt of your, your donkey. And uh, you'll, you'll give it to me. Thank you. Right? Or it is that Jesus here again proves that he is fully man and fully God. I'm not sure it really matters because in the end, it's just as Jesus said. The disciples who are walking in wondering, how is this going to go? We're going to steal some guy's new donkey. It goes swimmingly. No bumps in the road. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen because Jesus ordained what was exactly going to happen. They lay the cloaks on the colt so that it's a little more comfortable for Jesus to get on. And then they begin to lay down their cloaks in the road. There may be a mile or less now outside of Jerusalem. And they begin to lay out what we would do as kind of a red carpet entry. Verse 37. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So again, we have The key phrase, as he was drawing near. And the nearness to Jerusalem is what we're referring to here. And the cross. They're on the other side of the Mount of Olives now. And yes, the same Mount of Olives that they will leave after their Passover meal, where Jesus will later be arrested in just a week's time. And notice, they're praising Jesus as he comes in. They are louding, quoting scripture at him. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Psalm 118, verse 26. Peace is the key word in our passage here. It is no mistake or no unlooked-for circumstance that Jesus is riding in on the back of a donkey. And if you're familiar with this passage, because of previous Palm Sundays, you know the reason. A donkey is a sign of peace. Or should I say, if he's riding in on a stallion, it's a sign of war. If if Jesus comes in like any other king on a war horse, it can only mean one thing. He's bringing battle. But those who don't ride in on war horses ride in on donkeys. They're, they're, They're good beasts of burden and they mean peace. And so Jesus is coming here for peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he rides in, and you wonder how many of the crowds fully understood what they were ordained to say. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Reminds me of the words of the angels saying to the shepherds, It's a new year, and I mistakenly forgot to remind you to read your Bible. Every new year, I usually say something about, make a a plan to read your scriptures this year. So if you haven't done that, I'll ask Esker to send out a couple Bible reading plans. So those plans will help you do what I enjoy doing, and many of us here do, but not all, I'm sure. And that is just walking me through my Bible each year. I don't tend to get through the whole Bible in a year. It takes me maybe two, a year and a half. And I typically read up to three or four passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And you know, I, it never gets old to me when I read a passage in, let's say, Genesis, like I was this past week, and I see a thread that lands in Luke chapter 19. I never get tired of seeing God's word and how he wrote it from beginning to end and how it all ties together in so many unexpected ways. Now, I don't know if I'm advocating that this is exactly necessarily a prophecy of Jesus forthcoming, but I'm, I'm reading in my devotions about Joseph, and particularly after Joseph rescues Jacob and the rest of his sons, and they are there before Jacob on his deathbed, and, and he gives his blessing. We won't turn there because it would take too long, but Jacob or Israel is giving his blessing on his sons. And, and if you've read it, you remember he, he doesn't have great words for Simeon or Reuben. <laughs> not, not the greatest. But he, it's clear he knows he's speaking prophetically here, that he is speaking of what will come in the future. And so when his blessing on Judah comes, well, his blessing includes the kingship. And his blessing mentions a donkey. Not a lot of other scholars pick up on it. One of my favorite Genesis guys does, but it's not clear exactly how it, how it patches in here. But in reading God's word week in, week out, it is amazing how incredibly intricately woven it is. So I use that observation to say, friends, read your Bible. If you don't have a good Bible, go get an ESV study Bible or an NIV study Bible, and you will grow immensely this year. And look for that, look for some tools to come out via email later this week. So Jesus enters not as a conquering king, not as someone who's going to overthrow the Roman government, the oppressors, but he comes in as a prince of peace. And the crowds don't really understand it. Jesus draws near, but their focus is on something else. He comes then next as a weeping prophet as a weeping prophet. Verse 41, follow along with me. And when he drew near, there it is again, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The language, the verb here in verse 41, wept is strong. Sobbing could be another way to translate the word. Jesus is looking at the city of Jerusalem, having just walked out of the city, which he will do each day. Now he'll come in and he'll teach and he'll come out and sleep outside the city. He's weeping. He's weeping like he wept when Lazarus had died. He's, he's got tears flowing down. There's snot coming down his nose. He is lamenting through tears the city of Jerusalem. Now, we, we could talk for quite some time about the prediction that would take place, not even uh, 60 years, uh, 30 years later, excuse me, with the destruction of the temple. It's here. Jesus is saying this is going to happen. And it, it happens in the time under the rule of Romans. They wiped Jerusalem clean. It's a slaughter, And all that's left is the wailing wall that you can now go and visit, but are not allowed to pray on the Temple Mount. But more importantly, I want us to focus on how Jesus is in the line of the prophets here. He's not the first. Oh, no, no. He's one of many prophets who weep over God's People. In fact, earlier in the chapter, chapter 13, we we, can't, we come across this. Nevertheless, Jesus says, "I must go on my way today and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem." Oh, Jerusalem, you have a tradition, a long-standing tradition of killing your prophets, those that weep and labor to save you. Verse 34 in that chapter. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hen as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? and you were not willing? Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, "Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord." And there I think Jesus refers to his second coming, not our passage today. So again, Jesus is not alone and weeping. This is not the first time he's been sad for this city, and he's not alone in the line of the prophets. Elisha in 2 Kings 8 <clears throat> wept over the future evil that Hazel, the king of Syria would afflict on God's people. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1. This is how he earned the moniker the weeping prophet. Oh that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And so too Isaiah chapter 22 verse 4. Therefore I said look away from me let me weep Bitter tears do not labor to comfort me concerning the destruction of the daughter of my people. The list is long and could go on for a while. Jesus here stands in the line of the prophets as God and man, knowing that God the Father is ready to pour his wrath out upon his people. He's not merely lamenting the loss of life but he's lamenting the loss of salvation. Verse 35 of chapter 13, behold, your house is forsaken. And here in verse 44, Jesus says, why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. I drew near to you, Jesus says, and you did not see me. Your focus was somewhere else. Jesus, the Son of Man, God incarnate, visiting, as the angels announced to the shepherds back in chapter 2, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And unfortunately, that is not Jerusalem who reject him, who will later yell out, crucify him. Jesus weeps, friends, in short, for the walking dead. And last but not least, we come to Jesus as the devoted priest. And yes, I'm pulling a little bit on John Calvin's Famous summary of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. I see that here and I see that throughout scripture. Here he is as the devoted priest, verse 45, our third and final section. And he that is Jesus entered the temple. So he's come into the city. He's gotten off the donkey. He's come into the city. He's wept. Yeah, they're coming in or coming out. It's not clear that chronology here isn't necessarily important per se, but he enters the temple and he begins to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers, he says. Now what's going on here? What's going on here? The temple is, is a large footprint in the city and there are different courts and it's, most likely here that Jesus enters the courts of the Gentiles. So if you were not part of the nation of Israel, if you were not the covenant people circumcised, if you were a man, you could not enter beyond the courts of the Gentiles. And it's, again, not, not all agree, but most agree that this is probably where the vendors have set up shop. You see, the Old Testament sacrificial system required blood. The penalty of sin is death. Death. We see it in the Old Testament in very tangible ways, taking the animal, slicing its throat, the blood pours over and on to the altar. And we see it later with Jesus and his blood being poured out on the cross. So there's vendors. They have animals to sell you. Pigeons and maybe even some of the, the larger animals that are required for sacrifice. Sheep or rams. They also exchanged money. You can't buy from them with Roman coinage. That's filthy. So you have to exchange it for the temple currency. But Jesus has a problem with this. I think it's twofold. One, and this is where we, by the way, Jesus quotes Jeremiah and Isaiah. We're gonna go through that in a sec. One is taken from Jeremiah. This is where Jesus points out to them that they are greedy. the other is from Isaiah. We'll, we'll, We'll go in the order that's listed there. Isaiah 56, verse six through seven is what's referenced in my house shall be a house of prayer. But remember, whenever somebody quotes the Old Testament, we need to take the larger context in mind. Just like when you and I quote a movie, that quotation then brings up the larger context of the movie. So here we have it. This is a little bit more of the context here. 56, verse six or seven. And the foreigners, Isaiah says, who join themselves to the Lord, the Gentiles, who begin to fear the Lord and covenant with him, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. That's Zion, that's Jerusalem. So Isaiah is looking to a time where God brings everyone in, Jew and Gentile. And I will bring these to my holy mountain, verse 7, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. How do you pray with the bleeding of sheep? How do you pray with the clinging of coins? In other words, I think it's likely pragmatically, that the Jewish vendors set up shop here in the court of the Gentiles because they didn't care about the Gentiles coming to worship. What do they care? It was a large space. These dirty Gentiles don't even really belong here. Let's set up shop here. They can't worship there in this noise and cacophony of sound. Two, it's greed. And this is Jeremiah's point. <clears throat> It's greed. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it, declares the Lord. I think Jeremiah sees, and Jesus therefore quotes and affirms, the heart of these vendors. It's just about money. They could have done this outside of the temple, but they brought their wares for convenience, to set up a marketplace for consumers. And so Jesus is both rebuking the vendors who he's kicking out and Luke is the shortest at the accounts here. Jesus literally drives them out, maybe even pushing or just saying, get out, get out. It's it's very memorable. But Luke here is more focused on how this was foretold some time ago. They've set up court in the court of the Gentiles because they don't care about these dirty Gentiles worshiping. And two, they're really just making a buck off of those who are coming here to worship the Lord. And notice the last of the passage. Jesus is not only concerned about prayer, but as a priest, he's concerned about the teaching, the instruction of God's word, which Jesus says in verse 47, which Luke says in verse 47, and he, that is Jesus, was teaching daily in the temple. So every day Jesus comes in and he is teaching. He is teaching the people, the truths of God, and the chief priests, the scribes, and we have a new company of dissenters, the the principal men, the leaders of the city, the politicians, basically. These are all seeking to destroy him. Three against one. But, verse 48, they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on Jesus' teachings. Jesus draws near in our passage as a peaceful king. Jesus draws near as a weeping prophet. Jesus draws near as a devoted priest. The question for us today is, do we see it? Do you and I look for Jesus in a way that loses our focus. Jesus draws near because his mission is to seek and to save the lost, friends. And that's you and that's me. He brings peace. He brings hope. And he grieves if we do not receive it. Let's think of And I'll close with this. Jesus weeps in that time, not for the Gentiles, not for the Romans who do not know the promises of God. Jesus is weeping for the people of the covenant who have been rejected because they've rejected Him. In today's language, Jesus is weeping for us who sit in pews and sit in seats, but don't have our focus on Him, don't understand our need as sinners to be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. For every one of us here was born lost. And you've given us one life to live, one chance for salvation. And we do not know when you will call our name. We do not know when we will breathe our last breath. We have no knowledge of that. We have no idea when you will return. It could be in minutes. Oh, Holy Spirit, focus our eyes so that we might see the Savior and our need for him. Father, spare us your wrath through the sacrifice of your son, which we will celebrate today in the taking of his body, which was crushed for us, and his blood, which was spilled for our new covenant with you. Do a work here today among us and get all the glory for it. We pray these things in your name. Amen.